0: This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Go to GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to Daily Drive. It's Monday, February 14th, 2022, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. The vehicle shortage is triggering an accounting nightmare for thousands of auto dealers in the US. More on that later. First, let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Big relief at the border, a critical international crossing between Detroit and Windsor, Canada is back open this morning. Traffic started flowing again on the Ambassador Bridge late Sunday night after protesters on the Canadian side had blocked the entrance for almost a full week. Earlier Sunday, Canadian police cleared protesters and vehicles with about 25 to 30 arrests reported. The group was demonstrating against a number of issues, including COVID-19 rules. The bridge is a major crossing for international trade, including food and the auto industry. The protest led to production cuts at auto factories on both sides of the border, along with delayed deliveries of parts and vehicles. While that problem appears to be resolved, the ongoing semiconductor shortage continues to hamper production and profits around the world. First up, Ford is cutting output this week because it lacks enough computer chips. The automaker says production will be halted at its Ohio assembly plant, where it builds medium trucks, super-duty chassis cabs, F-series cutaways, stripped chassis. In addition, the transit van line at the Kansas City assembly plant will also be down. The side of the plant that builds the F-150 will continue to run. Elsewhere, Ford's Kentucky truck assembly and Chicago assembly will reduce to two shifts. Dearborn truck in Michigan will be cut to one shift. Staying with Chip's Toyota is dialing down production plans in March. The automaker wanted to stretch factory output to the max in an effort to make up for lost production, but lingering bottlenecks have forced Toyota to scale back those plans by 100,000 vehicles. However, even with the cut, Toyota is still aiming to build 950,000 vehicles in March, which would be an all-time record for the company. And the supply chain challenges will likely stick around for a while, according to Volvo. The Swedish automaker says the component shortage will only gradually improve and that it is too early to say if the issue will normalize in the second half of this year. The automaker's fourth quarter operating profit fell by about a quarter to just under $400 million. For the full year, Volvo recorded a profit of $2.2 billion. In other earnings news, Mercedes Benz Group says its preliminary 2021 results beat its guidance. Rising vehicle prices helped the automaker claw its way back from a low point in the global chip crisis last autumn. The company says adjusted returns on sales of its cars and vans segment were 12.7%, exceeding guidance of 10 to 12%. Mercedes says adjusted earnings before interest and taxes were about $16 billion for the full year. Bloomberg News reporting that analysts say the strong fourth quarter sets the stage for higher targets in 2022. The company is scheduled to report full-year comprehensive results on February 24th. Finally, the Super Bowl was played last night, and the Rams beat the Bengals. The widely watched broadcast, of course, is a showcase for advertisers, the auto industry prominent among them, along with cryptocurrency and NBC's Peacock streaming service. Chevrolet offered a new take on the opening scene of the Sopranos series to highlight its forthcoming electric Silverado pickup. Toyota called on the Joneses, actors Tommy Lee, Leslie, and Rashida, to tout its gasoline-powered Tundra. Polestar took shots at VW and Tesla. And online retailers Carvana and Vroom also got in the act. You can read all about the spots at autonews.com or our sister publication, Ad Age. And that's the news you need to know. Thousands of auto dealers are facing a major tax headache after factory shutdowns starved them of inventory. Now they're asking the Treasury Department for a lifeline over LIFO. We'll get into the details after this.
0: Listen to Fred Hayes, service manager at Temecula Valley Buick GMC, and Philip Candido, fixed operations director, talk about their experience with GoMoto in their service drive.
2: Before GoMoto, the backups in the service lane were due to not being able to get to the customer in a a timely manner.
0: There's times where menus are passed over where the advisor forgets to tell them, hey, it needs its major service. And now with the GoMoto, customers are presented with a maintenance package every time.
2: The time freed up from not having the customer sitting in front of them every single time they come in, it helps them be more efficient. It helps them focus more on the customer's concern and the, the maintenance and service of the vehicle. Before GoMoto, we would average approximately 130,000 in service gross. The kiosk and the service drive doubled the gross profit in the dealership. It's amazing. 100%. Using the GoMoto kiosk makes the dealership more
0: profitable. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency just like Temecula Valley? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O o.com
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. Last-in, first-out inventory accounting, also known as LIFO, is a commonly used method of deferring income taxes for retailers. If profits are calculated based on the vehicles most recently delivered from the factory, the dealership's income appears lower and the taxes follow. But with the microchip shortage, cutting factory output, not much has been coming in. Many dealers have sold down to bare-floor inventory, which means they need to book profits based on vehicle purchases made years or even decades ago, overstating their actual income and inflating tax bills. The National Automobile Dealers Association is working with automakers and members of Congress to get relief for retailers, but with tax deadlines coming as soon as next month for some dealers, time is of the essence. I talked about the matter with NADA chairman Paul Walzer. His business is based in Minnesota. Paul Walzer, welcome to Daily Drive. It's good to be here, Jamie. Oh, Paul as well. No complaints, no complaints. But Paul, I understand there are a number of members of the NADA who may face, the, face a nasty surprise in their tax bill for 2021, a significant cost for those that use LIFO, last in, first out, to measure their expenses for their their inventory. What's, what's going on there?
2: Yeah, Jamie, I've got... Um, Uh, a couple of conflicting uh, statistics in terms of the percentage of dealers that are actually impacted by this. I think we have been assuming all along that it's roughly 50%. But I had a conversation earlier today with the accounting firm that we use, who do a lot of dealers across the country. And they said that 90% of their dealers uh, are impacted by this. So we might be light Uh, in our original projection of 50%. But needless to say, whether it's 50 or 90 or somewhere in between, uh, this is a major, major issue uh, for an awful lot of dealers across this country. And this is an issue essentially that is a result of the uh, foreign trade disruption right now, causing the shortage of supply, specifically in the area of of chips. Uh, But there are other supply challenges as well and this is, uh, you know, no mystery to you, Jamie, this has had a significant impact on, on inventory availability. And uh, if, if we are not uh, provided relief that Treasury has the authority to, to provide, uh, dealers uh, that were sitting with no inventory in stock uh, at the end of the 2021 calendar year are going to be exposed to what could be decades of uh, LIFO reserves on their books, and and hitting a having a financial hit here that would be uh, overwhelming, if not in some cases a, a death bill to uh, to some dealers.
1: So the idea, like if I if somebody started a dealership fifty years ago, and they they bought five hundred cars for ten thousand dollars each, and then now they're basically out of inventory those last 500 cars they sold would be accounted for as if they bought them for 10,000 and sold them for, you know, 50. Uh, and so the prices, the profits just look really inflated. Is that, that's kind of the gist of it?
2: Yeah, that's uh, uh, a good way of, I think kind of trying to simplify a, a complex issue. LIFO has been around since 1939. So this is, this is uh, you know, a 70 year old tax provision that applies not just to auto dealers, but to, you know, all retailers, anybody selling inventory. And it's a common method that is used uh, to account for uh, how your inventory moves uh, through your financial statements. And you're right. You're, uh, you know, if there is a, I think this is where it's especially hazardous is when we have dealers in rural communities uh, that are, those dealerships tend to transact. Uh, to sell less often than the metros, because the big conglomerates, the public companies, you know, they don't generally go for the rural locations, they go for the larger metro stores. And so those dealerships that are out in small town USA have oftentimes been in families for decades. And if you transfer for transfer the stock from uh, one generation to the next, uh, the LIFO reserves transfer at the same time. And so Conceivably, you could have dealerships out there that have been owned within the same family since 1939 and could have 70 years worth of life reserves on their books and be subjected to having to uh, uh, pay a tax bill on a one-time basis here that no dealer would have enough cash to uh, to be able to honor. So it's, it, you know, I, I don't have the actual data on how many of the stores are out there that have been on LIFO for 30, 40, 50 years but I guarantee you there's a bunch of them and those are the guys I'm especially concerned about. Wow you think
1: 1939 you say so that's really um, even 80 years ago but also I mean that was depression times. These are you talking about really <laughs> ancient uh, accounting that's uh, that's been held held on for, for, through that. That's, uh, that's yeah, quite an adjustment. I,
2: uh, I guess my math wasn't very good there. Thank you for correcting me. (laughs) Uh, But uh, yeah, it's a long time and it's a serious issue. And I, Jamie, you've been around our industry a long time. You you know, this is a, this is a cash intensive business. All dealers have huge swings in their working capital uh, from day to day as cars move through and trades come in and contracts are paid off and not paid off. And, you know, we need operating capital. It's the lifeblood of our business. And, you know, to strip a dealer of of significant operating capital uh, at a time when we can't even replace the inventory that we have—that's uh, really uh, hazardous. And and uh, uh, so I'm 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 concerned as dealers across the country are concerned about this. So, Paul, what's being done to to try to help these dealers? Well, that's where the the good news is. Uh, I think we've seen uh, a remarkable. Uh, grassroots effort on the part of dealers across the country as well as our state and metro ATAes who are always there to help us uh, uh, fight the fight. so they're uh, they've been engaged with uh, with their legislators and talking about you know what needs to get done here. I mean at the end of the day, it's treasury who has the authority to provide relief uh, if there's been a foreign trade disruption, which there has been. And so it's within their charter to be able to, to uh, provide the relief that we're asking for. It, it hasn't been done before. And so there are, uh, you know, Treasury's trying to understand, I th- think exactly, you know, how this works. But um, there is uh, a, a lot of people that are engaged here to, to help them uh, to uh, make that decision. We've had uh, support uh, in both the House and the Senate Uh, we've had uh, uh, Dan Kildee and Jody uh, Arrington in the House uh, have got 90 members signed on uh, to a letter that went to Treasury back in November. And similarly, Sherrod Brown and uh, uh, 20 or so Senate Democrats have signed on to a similar letter uh, uh, to, you know, inform and and request the Treasury uh, provide this relief. So we've had a lot of support. uh, And I suspect that and that was done in a very short period of time that, you know, if we decided to uh, uh, to spend more time and dedicate our grassroots efforts uh, e- even larger, we could probably get the vast majority of of uh, the legislators in Congress to sign on to this effort. So been, been very, very uh, highly supported. We're optimistic. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see where this goes. So... It's Treasury who has to decide because Treasury oversees the Internal Revenue Service, I presume? You know, I, uh, I don't know what the particulars are, Jamie, in terms of why they have the authority, uh, but I do know that they do. Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, in the event that they were to be uncomfortable with this, you know, we can certainly uh, accomplish this, you know, with legislation, uh, but I think the preferred path here is to is to uh, uh, go through treasury and and make sure that they have the information that they need. Uh, the okay. manufacturers by the way and their uh, their uh, trade association uh, has uh, also sent a letter to let them know that this is in fact a foreign trade disruption because I think there was some question as to whether or not uh, this qualified because, you know, if a car is manufactured in the United States, you know, it doesn't qualify. But as you know, the parts are coming from all over the world. So um, the uh, OEMs were, were willing to uh, sign on to a letter to, to uh, uh, notify Treasury that that's the case.
1: Well, trying to get a, a ruling through Treasury, if, assuming that it's going to work, I mean, it would be a lot faster than trying to move legislation through Congress because a lot of dealers are coming right up on some tax <laughs> Right. Uh, so, yeah,
2: that's right. We, we have, we got to, uh, we got to get this done here pretty soon. Um, and, um, but everyone's talking and, and I think trying to understand the issue. And, and, uh, uh, so I, I really encourage, I, I'm, I, I like the fact that we've got the, the amount of support that we have from, from dealers and ATAEs and manufacturers and legislators. I mean, everybody seems to be, uh, sympathetic to the challenge that we're facing. And I don't think anybody wants to put, Rural car dealers in harm's way. I mean, that's be silly, and so uh, I, I'm I'm encouraged, optimistic, and appreciative of of all the support we've had, and we just need to get this buttoned up here in the next sixty days.
1: So, if you get the favorable interpretation from the Treasury, uh, what does that what would that look like? Will that allow? Will that smooth out uh, the the accounting over like two or three years so that tax? Tax burden isn't all plopped on the one year.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's important, uh, Jamie, that people understand we're not asking for a tax cut here. You know, this is really just a post- postponement, if you will, an opportunity for dealers to replenish inventory to normal levels. Uh, three years is the time frame that has been we've asked for, and so nobody's looking for a tax break. Uh, what we're looking for is the opportunity to correct a very unique condition. By getting our inventories back to normal levels and and just proceed as we always have, I I understand you you've got a pretty broad support, but I do wonder. I mean, have you gotten any pushback?
1: People saying, "Hey, dealers across America are making record profits. Uh, they can also pay all the taxes they've you know deferred over the over time from back when new vehicles maybe were not so profitable." Do you, do you get any any resistance
2: like that? Well, I haven't had anybody anything to me personally about that but you know what i will tell you is that when dealers have good profits dealers pay good taxes and uh, uh same with any other industry and so to the extent that some of our members had really really good years last year uh they'll be paying their taxes as they always have and uh continuing to provide jobs and and the like but if we if we if we don't get something like this passed you, you know not you know it's been a good year for dealers but that doesn't mean every single dealer uh, mm-hmm. you know you're, we're taking numbers in the aggregate and a lot of the success stories are from the larger dealers and and some of the public companies uh, but you know if, if you take guys that are are smaller dealers that are not on the top of the OEMs list for you know allocation right now on inventory and so they don't have stuff to sell to pay the bills and then you throw this at them at the same time it's, it's a bad situation. So there's a little bit of a, I think, confusion around that that profitability issue. And uh, but as I say, you know, those that are the dealers that are doing well, they're going to pay their taxes anyway. So that's a good thing.
1: All right. Well, uh, good luck with the Treasury. We'll uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that, of course. Uh, But before I let you go, I've, I've got to ask you about the NADA show. It's coming right up less than a month away in Las Vegas, Nevada governor uh, Steve Sislak has lifted the mask mandate for large gatherings. That means the NADA show won't uh, won't require them. Are you are you worried that anybody won't feel safe and might skip the show, you know, because other people won't be wearing masks? Are you hearing
2: anything like that? You know, what what I'm seeing uh, Jamie is that we've had really good response uh, both in terms of exhibitors uh, all of our exhibit space is sold uh, the event that we have at Allegiant stadium is uh, all the sponsorships are sold and we've seen a, a surge in registrations over the course of the last few weeks uh, so i think viewers are getting more comfortable with the idea of being there and certainly to the extent that there are people that have concerns uh you know they obviously don't have to come and if they were to come they can you know, where the appropriate protection or, you know, uh, keep their distance as needed. So I, I, you know, I think we got to be sensitive to what everybody's feeling about this. And, and, uh, we have been determined from the onset that we're going to follow the rules, uh, that are, you know, the, uh, you know, part of what's going on in Nevada and Las Vegas, and that's what we're doing. And, uh, so I, I don't know, I, I'm not an expert on, on, uh, on pandemics, but it seems to me that this this new variance is moving through quickly and hopefully by the time we get to showtime, uh, it'll be substantially behind us and people are going to feel uh, safe and comfortable because, uh, you know, our convention is a wonderful thing and uh, it, it brings lots of energy and, and uh, our industry relies on it. And so I'm hopeful that it can happen, but obviously we don't want to be putting anybody in harm's way. So... Do you feel comfortable at this point with the idea of, of going and meeting with people
1: and shaking hands and, and all that? Are you talking about me personally? Yeah. You personally, as you know, chairman, you, everyone's going to want to see you, man. They're all going to want to breathe right on you. Yeah. (laughs) You're (laughs) you're not too worried.
2: Well, I've had the, uh, the virus uh, and I've also had uh, both uh, uh, of the shots, the Pfizer shots, and I've had the booster and uh, so I think I've done everything I can. I, I'm generally in, in pretty good health. Uh, so um, I, I don't have a lot of personal concerns. I, I just, I, I'm probably more concerned just generally for, for others that might be in a higher risk category. Obviously, we don't want to be part of, of, of any, you know, tragedy. And so uh, that, that's worthy really more where my head's at. I, as far as myself, I, I think I'm in pretty good shape. So, uh, yeah
1: hopefully everybody will take uh, take good care of themselves do what they need to do uh, to protect themselves and have a good event
2: yeah th- this I think you would agree this is a very personal thing and and you know you 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 can go out and talk to twenty people and you'll get ten people that have one view and ten hmm. that have a different one and and uh, you know I think we got to honor all of that you know everybody has a right to look at this uh, you know in a way that that they think is best for them. And uh, I have no issues uh, with those that might have a different viewpoint than I have. But uh, at the end of the day, as an as a organization that puts on a wonderful convention, we want to give people choices. And uh, and the response that we're getting is very encouraging. I, by the way, our, our show committee has just been absolutely unbelievable. Scott Gooby, our dealer from Massachusetts uh, board member has uh, led this thing this year in a way that you know is really inspiring and and the whole NADA team has been doing great work so it, it, it's going to be a fabulous show for those that choose to come well we're all looking forward to it thanks Paul I will look at I hope I'll see you there Jamie oh uh,
1: no doubt no doubt <laughs> all right thank you all right thanks again that's Daily Drive for today I'm Jamie Butters you can get more on the LIFO accounting issue by reading the Automotive News cover story by Larry Vellaquette and Audrey Laforest. It's in print, and it's online at autonews.com. Thanks to Jack Hallauer for editing today's show. Thanks to the ANTV team and web editor Victor Galvan for their help, and thanks to you for listening and making this show part of your
2: daily routine. Now, let's get back to work.